Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to this Iowa Sportsman Podcast. Uh, Today, we have a really awesome podcast about things that you can do on your property that may allow you to hold more wildlife and specifically deer, because that's what a lot of the conversation today is about, uh, whitetail and habitat. But as we all kind of know, what's good for whitetail is also good for other species. And today's uh, podcast, we're joined by returning guest Jessica Graham, and we talk about, let me just tell you the title, Simple Things Landowners Can Do to Improve Wildlife. Now, this is a article that she wrote for the Iowa Sportsman Magazine, and um, it's just uh, five things we talk a little bit more than five but there's five things in there that uh, you can do to your property to create um, better living conditions for wildlife and that's what we talk about today it's pretty cut and dry Uh, so I'm not going to have a huge intro on this Uh, we're going to get into the commercial and we have a partner of this podcast and it's Bondurant Custom Furniture now the first thing you need to do is go to BondurantCustomFurniture.com now, what BondurantCustomFurniture.com is, it's, it's, the, it's a showcase. It's basically pictures of what Bondurant Custom Furniture does. They make some really sweet custom furniture. Uh, they take old whiskey barrels and they can turn them into tables or chairs or um, art or like even dog beds, anything, right? They also do some... Uh, other custom works like cabinets and dressers and stuff like that. So if you're looking for a custom piece of furniture, uh, go check out the uh, BondurantCustomFurniture.com website. And uh, if you have an idea you want to run by them, man, uh, call them up, hit them up through their website and run the idea by them. And I'm sure they'd uh, be willing to at least uh, take a look at it. And uh, they do some awesome work. So uh, check that out. All right, we've paid the bills, we've talked about the intro, let's get into today's wildlife podcast with Jessica Graham. All right, on the phone with me today, returning guest, Jessica Graham, how you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, Thanks for having me back, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I loved uh, conversating with you the last time, and uh, you wrote another article that I you know, had a lot of interest in, and uh, I want to talk about that today, but let's catch up real quick. When was the last time that we talked? It was in March, I think, March, March, April. Okay, so March, how did your turkey season go? 
Did you turkey hunt? Um, I wasn't able to. I tagged along with some people, but I wasn't able to get out very much, huh? But I think, yeah, the last time I talked to you, you went out with your wife. Is that right? Yep, yep. She, and... she got one. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, I'm to that point in my life where... Uh, when it when it comes to turkey hunting, now let's let's not forget deer hunting is a completely different animal for me. But when it comes to turkey hunting, I get yeah. I I don't get as fired up until I start to get frustrated when they don't respond or they don't like react like a how I think a turkey hunt should go. Then it's just like blinders <laughs> on, and I just go try to chase them down. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No. So what else? No, you, I'm like. I'm like you. I really get excited about deer hunting, and I spent most of my spring trying to get some stuff planted in the ground. That's right. And ready for deer hunting. Yeah. That's right. You're a food, you're a food plot. You come from a food plot family, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. So, did you, uh, do you fish at all? I do fish. Yes. And have you been fishing this summer? How's that been? Oh, uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been. I don't know, crappie are good and, and the bass as well. Um, right. How about yourself? You know, I've been fishing like three times only on farm ponds. And uh-huh. I, I bet you this year I've only caught five five or six fish. Typically, we go up to the uh, Mississippi River uh, up oh, by wow. uh, Lansing and, and in between Lansing and Guttenberg and do a lot of fishing up there. But just with the number of kids that I have and the crazy schedules, it's, it, we're only going to probably get up there maybe two times this year, but, uh, one, when we do go, we'll definitely get our fill. Well, good. I mean, life gets busy pretty fast. It seems like anyways. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, in overdrive right now. And for you, uh, with doing food plots and I guess pre hunting season projects, uh, you're, you're starting to get busy as well. Yeah. I, um, for food plots, I've done some millet and sorghum and corn. And then I got my beans in a little bit late, but they're in the ground anyways. Yeah. And I think I'm going to overseed my beans cause I don't imagine they're planted on 30 inch rows. I don't think they're going to canopy over. Yeah. So I think I'm going to overseed some turnips and radishes in there. And I think that'll be a fun food plot to hunt. Yeah, absolutely. You got a little bit of, uh, I guess what you would say, late season on late season, or do they come to those beans um, like in October? Um, I have a late maturing variety, so I imagine they're going to be green long, um, right. after my neighbor gets in the field. So I'm expecting some good early season activity around those. Awesome. And then... I bet there will be a little bit of a a downtime and then move into late season. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, let's see here. You wrote an article, and, and this is kind of a perfect transition because you talk about food plots, but you all, you wrote this article, and it says, Simple Things Landowners Can Do to Improve Wildlife. And when, when you were writing this article, what – I guess what was going on through your going on in your head about uh, like what? Because I have a feeling there's a thousand things a person can do to improve wildlife. But did you have whitetail in mind? Did you have 
game birds in mind? Like, what what did you have in mind when you started writing this article? When well, so my my passion is deer hunting. Um, I love it, but I also like you know bird hunting too. And um, there are some good things in here where you can create um, you know improvements to help whatever bird you bird you have. You know, turkey, quail, pheasant. Yep. Um, I like it all, but um, deer hunting is my main passion. Right. So it's kind of kind of thinking about the deer, honestly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so let's just kick it off, right? And um, what? Are, and we're just going to walk through the the uh, the paragraphs here and the titles and and kind of. I want you to explain to the listeners uh, what it is and uh, what the benefits are by having these things or maybe implementing them into their property. And the first one is watering holes. Okay, yeah. Um, which that's perfect for right now anyways where we're at. Um, it's July 17th, and the last time we had rain was June 26th. So, and are you guys dry where you're at by chance? Did I lose you? Hello, I'm here. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, I don't know how much of that you caught. Yeah, so you you hadn't had uh, rain since June 28th. Yeah, June 26th, and then um, so we we're really dry where I'm at, and a lot of times there's like puddles and creeks where the deer and birds will come and they'll just like meander and, and drink through these puddles or these creek beds. Well, right now that's all dried up. There's cracks in the ground. And so if you don't have a water source on your property, um, you know, whether you're a wildlife enthusiast and you just like to watch the wildlife or if, if you're trying to create a prime habitat for hunting reasons like I am, um, if you don't have water on your place, you bet those critters are going to be leaving your place and searching for it. Right. Right. So that's crazy. This year uh, in Iowa has been, the spring was extremely wet, right? Rain and rain and rain. And then all of a sudden it just shut off. Right. And I've even started to see some corn start to curl a little bit in some, in some spots, but I don't know about you, but as we're recording this podcast, yesterday and today we had two good healthy rain showers come through nothing too hard and flooding but enough to get the ground wet and get the crops the water that they need was that the same thing with you and your part of the state um no i didn't i'm in south central iowa and uh we didn't quite get any rain last few days anyways gotcha it's it's still dry so now it's it's a matter of i want to retain wildlife on my property how do i do that if i don't have water right um and the answer is you you're not going to retain it because that's like the number one thing is they need water (laughs) and they can't go very very long especially in this hundred degree weather right um without water so Um, so when you say water hole are we talking about uh, a big endeavor like building a pond or something small like filling up a cattle tank and setting it in the timber um, you can do either one. It kind of depends on how your ground lays. Because if you if you build sometimes with like a, a skid loader, you can do a shallow pond. Right. If you have the equipment, um, and but the water the lay of the land it has to drain 
so that that water hole stays filled. Um, you know, if if you have access to more money and, and if your land permits, again, you can build something a little more permanent like a pond. Right. Um, the downfall of that is it takes a little longer to build. Um, and I'm kind of, I like, when I want something, I kind of want it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, actually, this isn't my idea. I think I heard it from, um, I think, Jeff Lindsay. But I've started uh, seeing articles and and stuff where people have been putting, like, kiddie pools and filling those with water. Yeah, yeah. I've, and, I've seen guys do that with even something smaller, like... Uh, a five gallon bucket of water that they just take a four wheeler and uh, they've dug a hole in it and they just kind of set it halfway down, bury it halfway and then fill it up with water and put a trail camera over it. And it seems to be pulling deer in. And how easy is that? You went from, yeah. a, you know, if it's a dry summer like this, having no water for your wildlife to creating instant water for them to drink out of, yeah. and you know, it's, it's clean water if you're filling it from, you know, I don't know if you have a well or real water or whatnot, but it's going to be clean water. And because um, one of the concerns around our area is um, CWD, and that kind of spreads with the flies, right? The biting flies. You mean EHD? EHD, excuse yep. me. Yep, EHD. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, but providing a clean water source, like instantly, that's huge. Yeah. Um, saying if you own water, so you can just, if you have food, habitat, and water, you can retain wildlife. If you're missing one of those things, it's going to be tough. They're going to try to wander off right. and look for, yeah. Right. Because I know in in South Central Iowa last summer was also a, there was a, a really bad dry spell, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, it was dry as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you see or Im- did you um, implement any of these, I guess, tasks or projects onto the properties that you hunt? And if you did, did you see a, a result? Um. So on on my personal property, we have a shallow water, like a watering hole, shallow watering pond. Yep. Um, it's probably like twelve foot deep. Um, that actually dried, dried up last summer. Um, (laughs) so I, I, there's a picture in the Iowa sportsman, but, um, we had a little kiddie pool and I was a little bit surprised that it worked. I just put it right on top of the ground, put a trail crank camera because I wanted to see if it worked right. And, um, you know, sure enough, these, uh, does in the picture, they came up right to it and several other, um, deer as well as coons came up. Wow. To drink out of the water. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. Well, I I take it uh, an animal who is in desperate need of water isn't going to be picky whether they're drinking out of a pond or like, uh, you know, seahorses and dolphins kiddie pool from Walmart. <laughs> no, because that's what they got. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked, though. It worked. It worked. Yeah, it was, it, that's, it was really amazing to me. And I didn't camouflage mine in at all. Um, I think you would probably have a little more success if you did. And I've, I've heard that, you know, a wandering buck throughout the rut, the rut might, um, spook at, you know, your blue kitty pool on top of the, uh, the ground cause they're not used to it. Um, 
So maybe a tip would probably be to camouflage it in for best results. I didn't, and um, the deer still came to it, and I was kind of surprised. Right, right. Wow. Uh, that's crazy how that works. But, you know, as we all know, if you put anything in the timber for long enough, the deer will get used to it. <laughs> yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah. Yep. So, uh, any, any, anything else regarding water that might be a good idea, whether it's short-term or long-term? Um, if you're really looking for a, a long-term water source and you have the, like the resources, whether it's the soil capacity, um, and the drainage and the funding, um, a pond would be best, but it's also the most expensive. Yeah. But if you're looking for a short-term thing to add water, that the, the kiddie pools worked out great, or even the five-gallon bucket. I didn't yeah. even think about that. Yeah. But cool. you know, just something to get get the animals water. Yeah, and it worked. So that's what it's all about. And it, it, it's cool to think outside the box like that. Um, as far as you know, because a lot of a lot of people talk about these projects on their properties in a grand scale. Like I got to build a pond and I have to do hinge cutting and I have to do, you know, feathered edges and all this stuff. When something as simple as a kiddie pool full of water will have a a good effect for the herd. Yeah. And um, you can't do all those projects at once, even though we want to. And so if you can just you know, instead of building a pond, if you can throw out kiddie pools for a couple of years um, and buy yourself some time. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So uh, oak trees, why don't you talk a little bit about oak trees? Um, I love hunting oak trees in, in the fall. Um, deer love them. They're so attracted to them. If you can find a good oak patch, um, you bet you, the deer are going to be around them sometime in the in the early October when they're dropping acorns. Um, the problem is if you move to a property and there are zero, um, what are they called, oak trees on the property, it takes so long to establish like a red oak or a white oak um, to get that mass crop that you're looking for. Right. Uh, I was actually, yeah, um, I was actually able to find a few different varieties of um, hybrids they're called hybrid oak trees and like a bergamble and some other different varieties um and i was actually surprised they start producing um a crop every year and uh as few as like five years as some of them um one of the cheapest uh, most least expensive oak or oak trees out there for a mass crop is uh, sawtooth oak yeah and a lot of state nurseries offer them. So I don't re- I don't think the Iowa State nursery does, but if you go to like um, I think Missouri State um, nursery or Triad, just a couple other, I think Tennessee State nursery, you can pick up um, a batch of trees for not very much money, right. and then plant them. And then as few as six years, they can actually start producing um, consistent mass crops and. Our, our native trees, like our white oaks and our, our red oaks, they produce a heavy crop every other year. Yeah. And uh, just by, if you introduce like a, a hybrid oak, you can count on that crop consistently every year. So that was, I thought that was really neat. Yeah. Because when you think about oak trees, you think about a long-term investment, right? This is a long-term plan that 
Uh, you know, the deer, the, the food's not going to be here. You know, I don't, back in the day before these hybrids, 25, you know, 20 years until some of these oaks would mature for acorns. And then it's every other year on top of that. So, so with a, do the trees grow faster or how, how's that work? What makes them so special that they produce acorns earlier and every year? Um, the sawtooth uh, oak trees, they do grow, a, they're a fast-growing tree, whereas in, like a native oak is a slower-growing tree. Right. But they start producing when the the diameter isn't even very big, just like a couple inches. So you right. have kind of a thin little tree um, starting to produce acorns, and it's kind of neat. And one of the cool things about ac- or acorns is, I mean, I like to deer hunt and deer love acorns, but turkey like acorns, so if you do fall turkey hunting, um, and you can actually control where a concentration of acorns are, you can set yourself up for a really neat hunting spot for deer or turkey. Um, and then, like, some kiddos. I, I got started hunting, um, squirrel hunting. Yeah. And I don't know if you... You have some kids, right? Yep. And can I assume, are you going to take them squirrel hunting sometime in the future? Yeah, I will probably take start them off when I, when I get a gun in their hands and I, I feel com- like comfortable with them having a gun. It'll probably yeah. start off with small game, like rabbits and squirrels, yeah. And it, it's squirrel hunting is so fun for getting little kids involved in the outdoors because usually in the, you know, September when it opens, it's, it's uh you can usually find squirrels pretty easily and you can be a little louder and it gets them introduced to like gun safety. There's just so many good things about um, having mass crop of acorns and right. especially being able to control where that is on your property. Yep. Absolutely. That's awesome. So I, I, I would definitely do something like that. I'm envisioning a, a property that I currently hunt. Obviously I don't own it, but if I could plant a, like 10 of those oak trees and just kind of get them in close to this bedding area. That's not too far off a field edge, man. I feel that that, that place would just be on fire come whenever the, whenever the acorns drop. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, another fast growing producing tree. And I, I didn't talk about it in the article, but, um, chestnut trees are really gaining popularity. Yeah. I heard that. They have a yeah. short turnaround time as to as well. They do. I think it's in as few as, um, in as few as three years after establishment. Okay. And so it's it's and I have some planted that haven't started producing yet. They're on their second year right now. Um, if you do plant chestnuts though, um, watch out because the deer try to eat the leaves and they just try to maul them. So you need to have them protected well. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. So let me ask you this. When is the best time of year uh, to actually plant oak trees or plant any tree with mast? Um, I don't know if I'd be the right person to answer that question. Um, I don't really know. I I know that when I ordered my trees, they usually um, suggest doing it in the spring, early spring or in the fall. Yep. Um, okay. So I planted them. Um, I think last spring, early spring, when it was still cool outside. Yeah. And it took, they were still dormant, so it took a couple weeks for um, 
them to break dormancy and then they started to butt out and everything. And I had pretty good um, success rate on, on the survival of um, the chestnuts, but I just learned really quickly that the deer want to just, they'll eat the trees, the tops off the trees or chomp on the leaves. And rabbits tried to eat on the bark too. So yeah. you just want to have them well protected is what I would recommend. Okay. Um, now the next one here is kind of unique because it's not necessarily a habitat improvement or alteration. It's scrapes. And I didn't think of this as something that would improve wildlife when I first just read the title of this article. So explain to us why scrapes are improve wildlife on, on a property. Okay, this one's um, definitely focused on the deer. Um, and I just started making scrapes a few years ago. Um, and they can be either your best tool or your worst enemy, um, depending on, you know, I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but how scrapes improve um, wildlife um for hunting purposes or even if you like to watch the deer if you put a scrape out there um the deer want to come if they're in the area instead of you know doing a 40 yard circle around your stand they now have a reason to come into that scrape to check out that scrape and to see what what the other uh deer are doing in the area and i kind of think of it as kind of a social hub for deer yeah and or even like um you, you know, if you're walking your dog and all of a sudden you feel like a tug on your leash and you look over and your dog's run into his favorite fire hydrant because he has to smell it and then he's going to pee on it. That's kind of the same thing. Um, the deer walking in the area now have a reason to to walk 20 yards and to, to veer their path over to the scrape. They want to check out the licking branch. Um, they want to smell the scent left by um, previous deer in the area, and they um, they hit that licking branch, and sometimes they even um, urinate in the scrape as yeah. well. It's yeah. just a, a social hub for deer. Right. I know a lot of guys do that for the, the hunting strategy side of things, right? They'll try to put a, a mock scrape within shooting distance of one of their tree stands or in a pinch point or uh, wherever and hope and put a trail camera on it for one of two reasons. One, to shoot the animal that comes to visit it or to get trail camera pictures of everything that's in the area. Now, okay. for me, I have never had one take off. Like I go, okay. I go to in the September time frame, right when they strip their velvet. That's when a lot of stri uh, scrapes start to open up, and I've I've never established one that has taken off and it was consistently visited like some of the 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 more natural scrapes. And uh, but however, I got a buddy who swears by them, and he's putting out like twenty mock scrapes all over his property, and. He swears by them. Yeah, and I, so I had to have help from a friend to set up my scrapes because I was kind of like you. I tried, I didn't have very good success for them for a couple of years. And I got, I had to use a friend that's been doing it for over, 20, well over 20 years to show me how to do it successfully. Um, 
And the main thing um, is you have to have a licking branch. And, you know, I'm a little shamed. I didn't know, know this back when I first started doing it, but scrapes generally won't pop up unless there's like an overhanging place for them to put their scent on it overhead, like an overhanging branch or even grass. Right. Right. So have a licking branch and um, I tied down some of mine with string somewhere between like four and a half, five and a half feet from the ground. Um, and then I do a, uh, right after I tie it down, I do a small like 12 by 12 um, scrape under it. And I, I do it with a branch because I don't want to leave my scent in the area as much as I can. Um, and then I, I use some sort of a scent to, to scent the branch. Um, I've tried it with maple syrup. I thought that would be a good deal to get them start hitting up the branch. Um, I can't say that I had much success with the maple syrup. Um, so I started using my, my friend that showed me how to set up the scrapes, um, told me to use esterus. And I thought he was crazy because I was getting these set up like right before I was opening. Um, and I still have a hard time even understanding why it works. Um, I was bow hunting for opening day of both both seasons. Um, because it it sounds ridiculous to me because there's not going to be any doe coming into estrus anytime near, um, October one, but I actually had really good success by, um, drilling on the branches and then letting it, um, leak onto the scrape. So the estrus. the estrus. And I, I can't really tell you why it, it worked well. I don't know enough about that. I just know that, um, you know, I just, I got them activated. And and then I actually, um, on my dad's place, I, I set up like six around the stand. Cause that was going to be my, my killing stand, my prime stand. Um, and then I, I left the area and, and uh, I didn't hunt that stand, but my dad did around November and, um, just the first part of November and um, a lot of the state a lot of the scrapes stayed open up and he actually watched a couple come in and and make scrapes and he was actually able to harvest a really just a really beautiful eight pointer um, coming into the scrape yeah man I wish I had a scenario like that play out but um, I know a lot of guys use so what they'll do is they'll tie a, a rope over top of a branch like on a licking branch right Okay. Over yeah. top of a, and then they'll make the scrape. They'll leave it alone and then let all the scent dissipate. But then what they'll do is they'll come back in September and not touch the scrape and not touch the rope, but they have that uh, orbital gland, I think it's oh, called. Oh, sure, yeah. At, yep. at, uh, and you can buy it, and it's I think it's synthetic, but then you just slip the rope in the bottle, come out, and that works wonders, they say. Now, I've never attempted that portion of it i've always done what you've done and open up a scrape and then put buck urine in it and uh, uh-huh. that's never really worked too crazy for me but it's something that i'd if once i have a little bit more time i'd love to play around with with doing things like that yeah and i think um i've heard of people having success too with the like the pre-orbital pre-orbital or orbital gland because that's the stuff around their like the glands around their face yeah um and a lot of times if you watch a about to make a scrape he's rubbing his face around in that that branch above it yep um so i think that would be a good good deal to use probably too yeah um absolutely. 
I found the most success though when I just I get them scented. And my problem the first time when I started making these is I wanted to go in and check this grape all the time. Yeah. Um, don't do that. <laughs> I was go. I was going in. I know I bumped some deer out. Um, all I did was educate them about where I was at. Um, right. You need to be able to to stay out of it. And then um, I read a study where um, a white tail's daylight activity it increases throughout the month of October, right? Right. Um, so I think another maybe a dangerous thing that we do is sometimes hunt that stand too early. Right. Um, cause if you think about it, um, a deer's daylight activity is steadily increase, increasing throughout the month of October. That's right. If you're sitting over that stand, you know, the first 15 days of October or so, your chances of harvesting a mature deer aren't that great. And there's yeah. a reason that deer got mature. Right. Right. Because number one, you're going in there and leaving your scent behind. And number two, if he's coming after dark, after you get out of the stand, even if it's two hours later, he's still smelling you. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And, um, and that's why it can be, it can be a pretty bad tool to have if you can't stay away from it. Yeah. Um, I've noticed some pretty good success around, well, I, okay. So I follow like some social media, um, your hunting stuff and one of the great things about Iowa is like October 29th 30th 31st there's always big bucks being killed and that's awesome um and I think that's probably the most successful time to start hunting your scrapes um because for whatever reason those big bucks start kind of cruising and looking for the doe so they're coming into your scrape and they're checking to see if um you know is an estrus doe in this area so, yeah. um, it can, it can really be, um, a great tool if you're hunting, but it can be not so great if you're over hunting it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this right now though. You mentioned the 28th, 30th Halloween timeframe. Yeah. The last two years while I'm doing trick or treating with my family, there's been, uh, either <laughs> a big or somewhat of a, a cold front come through and here I am trick or treating and I go to check my trail cameras that, you know, when I get to my farm, believe it or not, the first time a mature buck steps out in daylight is on Halloween. So, oh, no. so I'm kind of, I, I'm not going to rush these moments that I get to spend with my kids, but I'll be happy. Oh, right. I'll be happy when I don't have to go trick or treating anymore. And maybe I'll kill a buck in October. <laughs> There you go. You know, maybe maybe in a few years, um, you'll be able to take your kids out too. Yeah. So it'll be a different kind of trick or treating experience for them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So let's see here. The next one is windbreaks. Now, you know, when I hear windbreak, and I lived on a or I was raised on a farm in okay. Iowa. And just a row of pines to stop the northwest wind blowing snow all over the acreage part of the farm, right? So what what do you mean when you say windbreaks? Um, when I think of windbreaks, like you're saying, I usually think of like, um, so our winters, we're usually facing like a northern wind or a western wind with a lot of bad weather. 
Um, if you, um, and you're probably thinking of a straight row, right? Of Yeah, there's, there's basically two rows that meet uh, on the western side of the house and on the northern side of the house. And it may go across the whole property or the whole acreage, or it may not, just enough to cover the house from, you know, big drifts hitting the house. Well, I was kind of thinking more like pockets of cedar trees. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and in especially like, um, so usually when those coldest days come or when that weather, bad weather comes, it's generally around like late muzzleloader season is what I'm thinking. Um, and if you um, create like these pockets of cedar trees um, on the coldest day of the year, usually, or, or during a, a bad snowstorm, um, Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever gotten down on your hands and knees and just looked under um, the canopy of cedar trees, but a lot of times there'll be like some nice, like a a big buck or just deer laying down in there. Yeah. (laughs) It hides them well and they're protected um, against the elements. And cedar trees, they hold a lot of snow on their limbs. Um, So actually the ground below, and if if it's a snowstorm, just providing and I'm thinking more about deer but I also notice birds conjugate down there too like songbirds and stuff Um, but a lot of times in the winter the deer just like to hang out below underneath those cedar trees and they like to bed there yeah and stay stay hunkered down until that storm passes right Uh, and you just described with these pockets of cedars and the snowy weather some of my favorite places to shed hunt during March when, you know, there's still the cold Northwest winds, there's still a chance of snow, but every year I I'll walk through this. It's like a CRP, uh, cedar thicket patch. And sure enough, I'm finding sheds every single year there, um, because they're getting out of that, you know, those Northwest winds. Yeah. And they need, they need that protection. And it's, it's awesome hunting late season. If you, um, late muzzleloader season, if you have like a cedar thicket, um, if you don't have one, they're fast, really fast growing trees. Um, I can guarantee you, you can find a farmer that would let you dig up some cedar trees for free Yeah. in your area. Yeah. Um, and they're really hardy. They're easy to establish and transplant. Um, and they grow really fast. So if you don't have a cedar thicket, um, I'm focusing more on deer because that's that's kind of my main passion, but all kinds of wildlife um, love cedar tickets. They provide food, too, for those birds, if that's your thing. Yeah, absolutely. So those uh, cedar thickets, when, when, you know, I mentioned the straight line and you mentioned pockets, if you were to play God and create this, this ideal cedar thicket, what does it look like? Um... It would look like, um, so you need to have protection against the north and the west side. And I would actually have it pretty densely populated. Um, and that's going to be a thing. That's just an awesome bedding area. And tell me, tell me about, um, your shed hunting place without, you know, disclosing too much, but what do you see there that makes that a a good spot yeah so it's on a number one first off it's on a south facing slope right so yeah and and we're going to talk about that the thermal cover next but at the same time 
Uh, it has it's a mixture of tall CRP grass and then clumps of cedar trees all throughout it, right? So what they're doing is on those northwest winds, they're getting behind the cedar but still being able to absorb the sunshine, right? And yep. that's what's keeping them out of the wind and keeping them warm. Yeah, and you're exactly right on the south-facing slope. If you could, um, if you're going to start a uh, cedar thicket for windbreaks, do it on a south-facing slope, and you're yeah, that'll be the the best success. Yeah, um, yeah. So, anything else about uh, windbreaks, or is there any other type of windbreak that we can discuss other than these cedar pockets? Um, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's other kinds. Um, on my parents' farm, they have hedge trees, but I don't notice the deer, um, hedge trees in a north and south fence row, but I don't notice the deer conjugating around them for the protection as they, as I notice them in the cedar thickets. Right. Okay. All right. So then let's see here. We have this easy transition into thermal cover because windbreaks and thermal cover, especially in the cold winter months, kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. And this was an awful cold winter to to test out some of these theories, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think if, back to if we're setting it up exactly like we want it, um, yeah, if you go back to the south-facing slope and you have the cedar trees and then pair it with um, thermal protection, and, and, and this article is mainly talking about switchgrass. So if you have your your switchgrass bumping up against your your cedar tickets. That's just a magical combination for late season hunting. Right. And one thing I've noticed, and you tell me if you've noticed the same thing, let's say you're walking through the timber, maybe on a late season hunt or maybe after the season's over. I know we had a ton of snow this, uh, this winter, but Mm -hmm. no matter how much snow we had, wherever there was a cedar tree or a pine, the snow underneath of that tree was minimal to none you could still see the ground and then like outside of that you're talking about six to you know 10 inches of snow yeah you're absolutely right it almost made like a bowl under the right the trees and i noticed this past winter a lot of um deer beds under there yeah and that's the same thing with me it may not have been with with something like this winter where it was so cold right these deer don't want to spend any energy uh, that they don't have to. So they're probably sacrificing some kind of, you know, typically let's say if on a perfect year, they're going to all bed on a South facing slope where they can have the sunshine, but now they're just going to bed closer to the food source in hopes that they have to walk less to get there. So if they can find something like that underneath, uh, closer to a food source, man, that's game on for them. You're right. And, if you don't have some kind of a windbreak or a, a thermal protection, um, we had a really nasty winter a few winters ago too, and I I only imagine you know a handful of bad winters like that too. But um, you can bet there's going to be more to come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then, other we've talked about the cedar uh, cedar thicket um, kind of acting or cedar trees acting as thermal cover and switchgrass what is it about switchgrass whether it's you know on flat ground south facing north facing whatever that makes you know it warmer and more attractive to deer um so 
on really cold winters when we get a lot of snow like this, um, the switchgrass has a kind of a sturdy stock. And when we get heavy amounts of snow, um, the switchgrass sometimes will bend down, but it's able to come back up and kind of offer like a sanctuary of a, like a canopy for um, pheasants and deer and turkey underneath. And that's why I like the switchgrass. Um, when we don't have such a a bad winter and it's just kind of mild, right? Um, some of our CRP mixes like the uh, big blue stem and the Indian grass, it can hold up under the snow. But um, I really like switchgrass for thermal protection because um, it's just like, well, if, if you think about like your, if you have an outside dog, you'll put straw out for the dog for insulation, yeah. and that that um, switchgrass offers kind of that insulation from the heavy snows during the coldest times. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you um, this winter again, kind of going back to this winter because it's just a perfect example of cold temperatures and thermal cover. Anything in any any place that there was tall grass, whether that was right in a fence line or next to a food source or, you know, in the middle of a CRP field or whatever, I was finding deer beds this year just, just because I, that's where it was the warmest possible place out of the wind. Yeah. And something like your CRP or your switchgrass, um, offers more, uh, structure rather than just like your pasture grass because that got matted down yeah. real fast the heavy snow this year yep yep yeah do you ever have any of that uh elephant i think it's called elephant grass planted on your property it grows to like 12 foot tall i've never even heard of it yeah so there's a, there's a couple grasses um i call it elephant grass because i think it's just a, a nickname for it i don't know exactly what the the actual scientific name for it is but it it grows to like 10 foot tall and it offers some great cover for deer as well and just like just like what you said about you know it it can withstand heavy snow falling on top of it it's doing the same thing but on a on just a bigger scale it doesn't drop down so it still provides that that thermal cover um, I would definitely look into that. Is it a perennial? Do you know? I don't think so. I think okay. you can, mo- it, it comes back every year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. So unless the place that I'm referencing discs it up and plants it every year, I think it comes back every year. That's it, my kind of grass. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it has those big, it has like a big flare um, when it seeds, it has a big, beautiful, uh, it's not a flower, but it's almost like a, uh, a tassel on a corn, but really fine. Very neat. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll have to look. I'd like to look into that because that sounds um, really interesting and sounds like it'd be a good thing to add to, to my property to Absolutely. keep the careers warm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well... Jessica, you know, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and, and uh, chat about this today. Is there anything else uh, that didn't make this article that might be a good idea for uh, a landowner? Um, not There's not anything I can think of right off the top of my head, but um, some of these things you can get started on as, like, as soon as right now, like the watering holes and the, and the scrapes. That's something where you can have an immediate 
turn around. Um, windbreaks, thermal protection, and oak trees take a few more years to get established, but um, they're well worth it once you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jessica, as always, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Have a good one. And that brings us to the end of another Iowa Sportsman podcast. Once again, we would like to thank our partners at BondurantCustomFurniture.com. Go uh, give those guys a look. Not much to say, man. If, if you guys are interested in finding out more about all the content that the Iowa Sportsman is putting out, go visit the website, iowasportsman.com. Tons of great articles about hunting and fishing and just overall outdoor. Uh, if you're an out, outdoor lover like I am, uh, there's a ton of great information there. Also, be sure to subscribe to their magazine as well. I can't cover every single article on this podcast but there is so much good information so be sure to subscribe to that as well other than that uh we are happy to have you guys be listeners and uh we're enjoying the growth that we're seeing from this podcast and uh i guess it's hot outside in iowa right now but as soon as it cools down a little bit man get outside and enjoy it and we'll talk to you next week (laughs) 